Welcome to another episode of the Along Come Norwich podcast, a wistful wander along the boulevard of broken Norwich City dreams. Today I'm joined by regulars Lorne, hello, and John, hello, and our special guest is Thomas, hello, from the Barclay and Norwich group, who, considering we need to talk about the woeful atmosphere at Cow Road of late, has perfectly timed his visit. Winter has come, so get along to alongcomenorwich.com where you'll find some stunning new Norwich City sweater designs to warm you up. Also, whilst you're there, you can read informed and sensible takes on the latest NCFC happenings. We are recording whilst watching Forest Away. It's currently nil-nil and pretty dull. Uh, we'll look back at Barnsley, ahead to Preston and take in your questions. Of course, as always, we'll round off with the ACN quiz. So, first things first, shall we talk about... The rip-roaring game against those tykes. Who would like to kick off with their thoughts on that game? Well, it wasn't great, was it? It wasn't the best game we've ever seen at Carrow Road, but we didn't lose, and that's a positive. Is that all you've got? Uh, yeah, basically. Well, I think patience, what everyone said at the start of the season, everyone's got to be patient, and then as soon as we have a sticky run, everyone goes mental about it. So either be patient or don't be patient. I think patience is when it's difficult. But a lot of people went into that game with serious expectations because you'd just had the international break, you'd had two weeks to work on it, um, and Farker was making the noises about offensively we were going to be a bit more expansive, the tempo of the attacks was going to be much quicker, and it just didn't happen. We were really congested in the midfield, we really didn't link between midfield and attack quickly enough. Oliveira, in fairness, looked a bit ring rusty, um, but it was just a bit meh. I think after the last international break as well, we then went on that great run. So you're thinking there's going to be some kind of shape worked on, there's going to be some kind of difference. Uh, Thomas, what was your uh, kind of take on how many chances we created or, or lack thereof? I guess the main thing for me from Saturday was kind of how much it had in common with kind of recent um, home games. So kind of we start reasonably positively, think all, you know, look to turn the corner, look to be a bit more direct, look to be a bit more pacey and kind of, you know, probing going forwards and kind of fall back into the same sort of sideways kind of patient build-up, which is fine, not, you know, kind of going to be slating the manager too much from that, but it's obviously something that's not clicking. It's... The, the no win six now at home? Yeah, the, yeah. the clicking in particular is, 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 is where I feel the, the problem is. There doesn't seem to be that understanding of how to lift things, lift ourselves from from halfway through a, a dodgy half, or if we're going through a, a pass, passage of play of, of five ten minutes where we can't really get on the ball. We've mentioned it on this pod, and and nearly any, anyone who's been putting out NCFC content for the last couple of years bemoans the lack of a talisman. Again, Saturday was a real issue um, for me. It was it was a game that could have been oh for us oh, to just score. <laughs> get, you can guess who it is you talk about talisman Forrest bring in Murphy I don't know what that is seven eight goals now he, he's got for them um, and we've got a, a real lack of a leader in in pretty much all areas of the pitch for me and and Saturday was was a prime example I mean I think the, the leader is supposed to be Pinto at the back at the moment um, closer maybe um, Gunn you can't really lead too much from being in goal although he did make a couple of smart saves on, on Saturday when, when Barnsley were on top a bit more second half but you, you look at the likes of, of Madison yeah he's creative and yeah a lot of the play goes through him but he was 
an anonymous second half. We didn't get in the ball anywhere near enough. And when you don't have a player in 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 your eleven or in your fourteen who can really pick up the game by the scruff of the neck and turn things round, I I I almost think that that tactics are kind of irrelevant. I think Madison. I think it's a good point about Madison. He looked really leggy on Saturday, and actually, had Alex Pritchard been fit, I think this would have been the time to take Madison out of the limelight and potentially, you know, give him a rest because. The thing that Jacob Murphy struggled with last season is he was mentally fatigued. I don't think he was potentially physically fatigued, and he suffered a massive dip in form because of that. Um, and you know, Barkley started to get onto him, and Weber made comments about that later on in the season. So I think that was a real issue for us. Um, but yeah, there's just no impetus going forward. And you talk about leaders. I'd perhaps disagree in so much as at the in the back line. I think. Hanley's going to be a leader. I think Zimmerman looks like a natural leader and he is massively vocal. Um, closer as well. You mentioned him. Aoife yeah, Pinto isn't a captain. You know, he's a bit more of a lead by example and run a lot up Lead by line. Photoshop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, there, there was a, uh, Zimmerman, there was a nice piece of uh, interplay with the crowd when he was warming up um, in the first half. Um, it probably was my highlight of the game, um, to be fair, because the, the goal kind of happened too quickly before he'd really kind of got into the game too much. Mm. And obviously it was... It actually looked like an OG. Was it an OG in the end? Or yeah, did they, did they give it to Murphy? Well, no, I think they gave it to Murphy. Oh, okay. it, it, it looked to me like it was it was maybe going wide, but, but yeah, the um, that was kind of my highlight. Zimmerman seems to get it. We, we've said that before uh, in terms of what it means to to the fans, and and he he he's appreciative of how, what a step up he's taken in terms of stature of, of who he is and how big a impact he has on the on the team. Um, as we watched some quite bizarre fullback play from. Zim- Zim- <laughs> <laughs> on um, on our, our completely legal stream, but I really can't remember um, anything from the first kind of hour of this Forest game, other than Marley Watkins had that kind of charts rel- relatively early on. I can't remember like a period of play, like a five ten minute period of play where Norwich were genuinely on top. Whereas at least we have had that in away games a lot this season. Obviously we've we've. Um, you know, we've won more games away than Preston have won at home, for example. You know, we 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 have been decent away from home. But, but I never think we've been on top. I think we've been, or you know, bang on top. I think we've been marginally on top in games, and we've done really well at kind of sucking people in and then hitting them on the break. And I think, ironically, we've done really well away from home. What lots of teams have come to Carrow Road and done mm. recently, and at Carrow Road, we seem to be. No, kind of almost a bit sort of dogmatic in our approach that we kind of we have the way of setting up and teams have kind of seem to have kind of worked it out quite a lot and actually we don't seem to be able to change it up from there and kind of manage the game. Yeah, Whereas teams, away from home, conversely, we can actually seem to do that quite well and kind of you know score and then sit back and kind of adapt a bit more. Teams have come to Cowboys, haven't they, and sat in mm. and try and teams come to Cowboys for a point and at the moment we haven't found a way to stop them getting. At least that. But I think the thing with how the season has gone so far is there's been ups and downs and it's not going to be... like Improvement isn't a linear thing where you get a little bit better every week. There are going to be games and there are going to be runs where we don't play mm-hmm. very well. Mm-hmm. And I think Saturday was a good example of that. It was, it was one of those games where balls were bouncing off people, passes were going to players when they were wrong-footed. And I don't think it was necessarily as bad as a lot of people have made out. It wasn't great fun to watch and it was a poor performance but I don't think it was symptomatic of a manager or a team that aren't run out of ideas. Yeah, that have run out of ideas or aren't playing for the manager. I guess it's kind of come in the middle of this kind of little I guess it's a blip. Um 
it's so a, run, it's a run now. It's, it's four, a run. It's four, four or five games is a run. Okay, so it's moved to a run, but it's come within this. So if this was kind of as part of the unbeaten run that we had, everyone would be like, oh, decent point against a Barnsley side that haven't lost in five. Mm. That's a decent point. When it comes off the back of losing to Bolton before a two-week break, yes, kind of people view it from a different kind of perspective, don't they? Yeah, agreed. Well, speaking of, of, of um, Barnsley's good run, we go up to, to P, uh, well, P&E come down to us on Saturday um, they've not won since 26th of September. Long come Norwich. Yep. Um, we'll soon sort that out. Um, I don't know how they're getting on at Bristol City right now. Maybe one of you kind gentlemen can check. Um, but you'd also think, though, if they've if they've been on such a bad run, um, you'd think they're you know really deep in the table beneath Norwich. But nope, they're just a point behind us as the two teams kick off tonight. Um, and I just think that 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 kind of is, is systematic of where we are. We're a we're a mid-table team. Um, and mid-table teams are going to go three, four games without doing anything clever. Um, at the moment, it looks like Bristol City are losing. So, you know, along come Bristol City, and um, they, they, they've taken away our uh, they've taken away our mantle of ending that, that badly run, maybe with, with 15 minutes to go. Um, but they're, they're not great at home. That would be the sort of game that uh, even earlier this season, in the relatively early te- early tenure of Fark, we would go right. That we're going to travel there with real. Um, with real in, in, intent and re- an almost expectation of getting some kind of result, but for me, all of that seems to have fallen apart. I, I don't. I, I've really lost faith in 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 believing that the, the team know what they're setting out on the on the on, on the pitch to do. And, and I I see what you're saying, Lorne, that yeah, okay, that we may have got a bit of the bad rub of the green, etc. But like Thomas says, this this you know this this is a run, and you can't keep. Suggesting that we've been misfortunate, I, for, I, I wouldn't me, say it was misfortunate. I think it was a it was a bad performance, but I don't think it was anything more than a bad performance. I think it was a bad performance on the day. Agreed, we're currently losing at Forest, as I say that. But I think we've been, like, we've been marginally defeat. better better side tonight. Looking at it, yeah, and I think this Forest game has been a fairly good summing up of our season in that, and the season before actually. In that we started brightly, we had a couple of chances, we didn't take them. We've conceded a fairly silly goal that was just across into the box, and Dal Murphy heads it in. We still seem to be fairly naive in yeah. our playing. It's what sort of characterised the early season, and you kind of put it down to kind of getting used to it. And we looked like we'd ironed it out in that run with some really, and let's not kind of you know, kind of indulge in some of the revisionism that some Norwich fans have done that. You know, kind of going to Reading and going to Middlesbrough and winning the derby like aren't amazing results. Just because yeah. we're on this run doesn't mean that those results are worth any less. Yeah, but yeah, we do seem to have slipped back in, and whether that's kind of you know once they once they get a couple of defeats and they kind of lose their kind of what lose their way a little bit, or they lose you know kind of. But isn't that part? Isn't that partly again down to the the type of bad performance it is? Well, for me, actually, I think it's a, a big point. So you make yours. And then well, I was gonna say for me, the fact that we're still naive, as in we're still in the the same kind of naive that we were last season, is a positive. In that, that's incredible. Yeah, in yeah. that, yeah. we've changed the manager, and the same problems are happening, which suggests that it's a bigger problem than. Just the manager. So there's a bigger and problem. No, that's there, a positive. There is a bigger problem. But, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> but we've taken steps to address a bigger problem than just the manager. We didn't just sack Alex Neal and then get a new manager in and go same again. We've done something completely different. And that will take time to bed in. And you'd expect that the same problems would happen 
for a little while. I think it's going to take a bit of time for Farker to properly stamp his authority on the team. And I think the naivety comes from more from the players than the coach. And it's interesting you talk about naivety because on that good run, there was one person, well, two people who were at the centre of that. And that was Alex Tetty and that was Tom Tribal. Now, neither of those are playing tonight. And actually, when the ball breaks down, you don't look like you've got a couple of people in the middle of the park who are you know, going to mop it up, give it to the more creative players. And I think that's probably where we, we went wrong against Barnsley as well. We didn't have two holding midfielders, but then we didn't have two holding midfielders to pick, really. And Barnsley, every time we lost it, kind of in, in their defensive third, they could just break at us with Will. Um, and Teddy, going back to your point, um, Tom, Teddy has captain the side. He is a bit more of a leader. He's more experienced. Go on, Nelson's oh, about on. Nelson. You know, he is one of those players who will just keep it simple, but he's a steady Eddie. And I know not everyone is his biggest fan, but actually I think he was a big part of what we did really, really well on that nine match on beating run. Yeah, so we one of the things that I wanted to, to cover was was exactly that, the, the difference between the run um, and how we seem to be playing now. So... Whilst I appreciate I'm, I'm a figure of fun for getting carried away when things were going really well and we having that great run and we very nearly beat Arsenal um, at the Emirates, the reason I was so high and the fact that I've got so low on, on our potential this season is the very reason I'm so worried. There's a difference between inconsistency and two long runs that completely kind of don't match each other. Like Inconsistency is a win, a draw, a loss, a win, a draw, a loss. A long series of wins and draws and then a long series of losses and draws to me is more consi- more worrying than, than kind of at least getting a good result every now and again. The, the thing that seems to be the real consistent element for, for me since the, this, this bad run started was the, yes, that, cl- that lack of being clinical in front of goal is still there, but we're not creating the clear-cut chances that when if we if we created four or five really good chances on Saturday and didn't take them and fair enough Barnsley took theirs well and you know a point is fair is fair, but I can't really name you more than one two half chances in ninety minutes of football where we had enough of the ball. Likewise tonight, you know the ball's been across the box a couple of times. Well, that's why I disagree with you because I think you're right. In the Barnsley game, we didn't create any chances, but that's why I think it was more of a one-off because the Derby game which we lost, we created some really good chances. The Wolves game, we hit the post just before they scored. The Bolton game, we created some good chances and didn't. No, Tonight, Watkins was. Uh, put clear through and that's, that's one chance no, it's been one chance all game it was one chance before you interrupted me it was Watkins got put through and his poor touch let him down Oliveira nicked the ball off the full back and you said Cam Jerome Cam yeah, Jerome Wembley. Wembley, yeah. and he was in Oliveira just was in two seconds ago and had it nicked off his toe on the six yard line that, was, that, not, that, wasn't, a, that wasn't a clear chance. chance and also Nelson's one was him like chasing Daniel Ayala style chasing down the full back they, we're creating little bits like that out of nothing if we, if this if this coach was superb, if the Farc revolution was a thing, if he'd been working on philosophy and shape, and we all know what we're, we're doing with possession football, etc., then the chances would be systematic. They would regularly come from similar um, routes. They would regularly come from that type of wing play. They regularly come from that type of midfield diamond. But they don't. A lot of them come from a quick breakdown. And when when I thought back, and this is this is the kind of crux of my point, when I thought back to some of the goals we scored when we were nicking those one nils and having that great run. Um, a lot of them were coming from counter-attacks and from breakdowns mm-hmm. and suddenly, um, I can't remember which team we were against, but I think it might have been the Ipswich game where the game broke down, Tribal um, quickly turned the ball out to Houlihan and then played the ball out wide. Um, that wasn't systematic coaching philosophy 
possession football created. That wasn't Norwich successfully passing the ball and keeping it for ages and then creating a chance. It was, oh, the other team have fucked up and quickly we've managed to do a couple of passes and scored a goal. That's opportunism. And opportunism is not something you can believe in a coach on. You can't replicate game on game. And that is what, that, that's the crux of why I'm, I'm completely gone the complete opposite way of being a, a believer. I, I think that I think Norwich are getting results based on the players, both good and bad. I, I don't think... I can't see a... Other than doing things slowly and with more touches before trying to go anywhere, I can't see any real hallmarks of a coaching philosophy in the Norwich team. Yeah, and I, I think... There's a semblance. Do you three all think that there, that, that there is? I think there's I'm, a semblance of a point, and I think there is logic to your argument. What I would counter it with is, and you know, you see many experienced coaches say this, usually failed coaches because they're on Sky Sports News, but they say it's it's easy to defensively drill a team. It's easy to, to get organised, to make sure that you've got players behind the ball and actually be difficult to break down. It's difficult to coach attacking, free-flowing football. And I think that's where we're at at the moment, is Farker can't find this magic formula and it's not going to click overnight and you know we're not going to be expansive and progressive and create loads of chances just like that unless we change the style a little bit and perhaps we go a bit more direct and I, I don't think we're ever going to do that. Um, but you would expect to see signs of progression and you would expect to, you know, uh, I know you said it's not linear, Lorne, I take that, but you would expect us to be getting slightly better kind of game. Especially game. if he's going to get the credit for the run. So if he's going to get the credit for the run, if that was down to him, that means this is down to him too. Yeah, and, agreed. And, and and that is why I'm I'm currently far exit far exiting. I'm I'm not. I'm, it's not, I'm it's not, not a thing. It's not a debate at the moment. Surely, like no, it can't. He's be. had fourteen games. Oh, Nelson's just missed an absolute missed sitter from eight. Was that eight? Maybe nine. Being oh, I was offside anyway, so it doesn't count. But again, that was a lump into the box and bobbly-bobbly. That wasn't a, a carefully crafted chance. And that's what I mean. And I think it's difficult to coach that. I take your point that actually we're not seeing those signs of progression and we should be taking incremental steps towards being that side that we want us to be. But, you know, the club have been really, really candid about this and said it's going to take two or three windows before we've got the personnel we want and actually we've got the style we want. So... We can either whinge about it or we can get behind the team and I think we'll perhaps get into that in a bit. I also think there's the issue as well that although some of those wins that we did have in that run were quite narrow and Lorne talked about the kind of chances in previous games that you can't always legislate as a manager on the sidelines for some of the chances that we have missed. I know what you're saying about kind of, you know, if it was a coaching style that was coming through there would be systemic kind of things that always come from the same sort of move and you could see it very rehearsed and kind of corner routines, etc, etc. But actually some of the ones, I'm thinking some of the Jerome misses, there's several culprits and not just kind of, you know, going to get on Cameron's back. But I think if we even take sort of one or two of them, we've not been battered in games. All of these teams are doing what we've not been able to do and take that one chance that's kind of gone and yeah. manage the game. That's what we were doing. Places like Middlesbrough Reading is what we're not doing at the moment. It might be that we're just reading far too much into it and this is a very, very middling championship team. I haven't seen anyone that's loads worse than us and I haven't seen anyone that's anywhere near as good as Wolves. I think that's the thing. Yeah. It's where you said we're, we're a mid-table team. I think 22 of the teams in the championship are mid-table teams. Yeah. And it's fine lines. As we move forward, we do have to kind of look back on on, on, on Barnsley and, and the last couple of games because one of the reasons we've got Thomas is here is to, is to is to talk about the the atmosphere. So Thomas, if you just want to lack ex- thereof, yeah. If you just want to expand on um, 
on, on who the Barclay and Norwich group are and, and, and what the aims are, etc. And that will kind of lead us into into this part of the pod. Yeah, of course. So Barclay and Norwich started about three, four years ago under the name Barclay and Project at the time. And we kind of took that as kind of the project and we took on the German spelling of project with the K. Um, because you're cool. Because we're cool and hipsters, apparently. So you were, um, you were pre-German. Like, sorry, you, you guys. Were, you were German. Sorry, guys. Oh, oh, early, early adopters. Um, <laughs> and... Yeah, so we kind of, we started with the aim of improving atmosphere and then also kind of working on things that would affect sort of all fans. And we got kind of lumped in with the safe standing um, campaigns and the campaigns for kind of cheaper ticket prices, and which is really good, but we felt that we got a bit sort of pigeonholed with that. So we wanted to change and kind of focus more on the atmosphere, hence the name Barclay and Norwich, because obviously the traditional kind of vocal area of Cairo being the Barclay. So that was about a year and a half ago. And then since then, we've been kind of steadily trying to drum up more support and kind of get more people involved in improving their match atmosphere at Carroll Road with varying degrees of success, I would say. (laughs) So so we obviously were, uh, everyone around this room was at a meeting at the club for the the supporters forum discussion as, as Norwich, the final final whistle goes on, on Norwich's loss at the city ground. I don't think it is. I think the stream's just been interrupted. No, no, no. They were shaking yeah. hands. That's well, what, it's all, ended. It's all yeah. gone. Um, so, yeah, we, we were all um, party to the, the, the supporters forum at the start of, you know, before the start of the season, mm-hmm. invited to give give thoughts on, on what could be done. Um, John, I think you're, you're allowed to give a, a very uh, verbose and extensive roundup, aren't you, from the club of, of what's going on there? Not really, no. Um, I think there's one silver bullet in all of our minds that that fixes all of this and that is a singing section somewhere in Carrow Road. So along come Norwich, Buckley and Norwich and, and many other, you know, kind of individual supporters and supporters groups have um, been discussing with the club atmospherics. I think the club accept that the atmosphere isn't what it could be and um, want to take steps to improve that. But actually there are limitations that are placed on all of us in terms of um, taking forward that work. So we have broached the idea of a singing section with the club. Um, we've put forward a number of other ideas as well um, to hopefully improve the culture. But at the moment, it's still ongoing discussions, so I guess there's no update right now. So we all agree that, that Saturday was a particular low point. I, I, I normally sit in the Arthur South stand. Um, the weekend I had cause to sit in the Barclay. Um, first time this season I've been there. You're um, Fulton. <laughs> yeah, so effectively I was surprised, bearing in mind we were 1-0 up early on, I mm. thought here we go, then this is going to be a sing-song, but it was deathly silent, um, little pockets of, of, of noise, people not seeming to want to get in, join in, people seeming to be resentful of, of the wrong song being started, the snake pit only interested in shouting at um, the stewards for making them sit down, um, too busy having a go at men in a jacket, um, determined to make everyone stand up if you hate the scum. You know, for me, songs about other people will never get as much um, momentum going unless you're playing that other team mm-hmm. as songs supporting you. We're one nil up and we're too busy singing about agree, someone agree. else. And it, for me, it was it was it was a really unpleasant atmosphere to 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 sit in. So I I was right over. Um, I think it's B blocks. So I'm right over near Snake Pit, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it was, yeah, it, it wasn't. It really wasn't an enjoyable experience. So had I taken, had I, had that been someone who doesn't have a season ticket, who got the opportunity to go in someone's season ticket place, and 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 was like, this is what 
the Cow Road atmosphere, you're going in the Barclay, right next to the snake pit, I wouldn't be going back if, if, mm. I, was, if I was neutral or in, or in any way worth swinging on it. I think you make a very good point, um, and it infuriates me, but as you said there, the atmosphere was terrible uh, when we were 1-0 up. And a big lot of, or a large amount of the pushback you get whenever you try and start a conversation about the atmosphere not being good enough is people will say, well, play better or win more games or be more entertaining and we'll sing more. And that's just bollocks. It's absolute bollocks. Yes, people who maybe uh, don't sing every game will get more into the game and be more inclined to sing. And there'll be more atmosphere in terms of like a general murmur and a general excitement. But you, you, even when we're 1-0 up, people weren't singing. Like yeah. success on the pitch had nothing to do with it. Mm. And what really irritates me, and I know John gets annoyed at me banging on about this, is before the game in the concourse, particularly at away games and at half-time, it's really raucous and really loud. Yeah. And then you go out into the stand and it's gone. Mm. And you've got, you haven't got any on-pitch entertainment in the concourse. Yeah. That excuse of, well, the players should play better, what they can't expect anything. It's just it's a lazy excuse that blames everyone else. Like away when, is way better, though. I mean, so well, yeah, it is. And it's partly because, away from home, you've got a bit more freedom about who, like, getting those groups of people who want to sing together. And I think that's the key thing that what... Uh, myself from an Alonkham Norwich point of view and I think Thomas would agree from a Bartley and Norwich point of view is the point is we don't want everyone to feel like they have to sing we're not saying if you go to Carrow Road sing or even if you sit in the Barclay sing because we'd only, we've worked out didn't we? we were talking about this beforehand Thomas with your survey that you did it should be quite easy to get a relatively small number of people together. Yeah, so we ran sort of after Saturday, kind of a very small sample size, admittedly, and a bit of the echo chamber that kind of Twitter is. But we did a poll saying if there was the option of some sort of singing section at Carrow Road, would you, where the expectation was, you know, kind of flag waving banners, but the main thing kind of consistently singing throughout the game, regardless of what's happening would you move into that section? And 79% of the respondents said yes, they would, which works out at 412 people. Um, so if you had 412 people in one section of Carrow Road, always singing, that would make such a difference. So one of the things, I'm going to come on to this, but I'll mention it now. So one of the things that we did to try and create this kind of atmosphere and show what sort of things could be achieved was the season before last with the youth team games under 23 when they were running the free uh, matches we advertised kind of a little sort of singing section there and got a group of people together we maybe got kind of 60 to 70 people now obviously we only had about kind of 9,000 in the ground and everyone else was silent but those 60 or 70 people made such a racket with such a good impression the press were commenting on it you know like the players were commenting on it it was great and then for various reasons we had to stop but just think then if it was as quiet as it was on Saturday, but you had 400 people who were singing non-stop. It'd be such a lift for everybody. Yeah. I wonder whether it's at all possible. We totally understand the logistical issues mm. of saying to people, there are going to be uh, singing sections created or a singing section created, and you either have to like it or lump it, you will be losing your season ticket seat. Of course, that's going to cause PR issues for the club. That's going to cause people to ring Danny Casey up and, and complain. However, is there potentially a way of um, of, of doing it more in a more voluntary basis? Yeah, well, that, I, get, I think that's I, the thing. Is this, you're not losing your season ticket. Like what what we're saying is, create a section similar to the family 
area in which you kind of you set a code of behaviour. So in the family section, you wouldn't expect someone to be stood up, swearing, beery, like loud. Like you'd John, be, basically. yeah, no. you'd be families. Like that's the point of the family area. Have a singing section, so you create this choice. And that way, if you if you don't want to sing but you want to be part of the atmosphere, you can be near it. If you want to sing, you go in it. And that way, you let people decide for themselves how they want to support the club. It's I'm not about saying everyone has to sing. I'm just going to preempt some of the kind of disingenuous replies we got to this sort of topic, where they said, "Oh, so how are you going to police people singing?" I would like to think that 400 people who sign up to go into a singing section, knowing in advance, are going to actually kind of maintain that expectation. I don't think people that that say yes, I'd like to go into a singing section after 10 minutes if we're not winning are going to stop singing. So that's kind of that one thing. But this is, this is the thing about the, the voluntary element. I, 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 I don't know how feasible it would be to try and how if you could get enough of the, enough of the Norwich City fan groups, fanzines, podcasts, content producers to club together to publicise it, if you could get um, do it on a completely voluntary basis, i.e. almost alongside the club so the club don't have to be involved at all, and you basically say, right, we have managed to find 300 people mm. who are willing to, for two home games in a row, swap their seats with these 300 people so that, you know, are you, are you, you currently sit in whatever block, C block, D block, whatever we're going to choose. Are you willing to, um, if, do you want to be involved in this? If not, would you be willing just for two games for us to trial this thing? Yeah. Um, bear in mind you won't be signing away to anything you can cancel it at any point you can come back at any time and you may well find after those two games that the atmosphere looks that fun that those people will come back and join in I think there's a few things there so one so one of the things that we suggested was trying to do it in an area of ground where the smallest number of people would be affected and we suggested the Wensum corner so in between the river end and the main stand because yeah. there aren't many if any season ticket holders in there the issue would be we probably wouldn't be able to stand, we probably wouldn't be able to have the flags. You know, not the end of the world, but not really ideal. So I guess obviously everyone wants an ideal world to be in the Barclay. E or D block would be the ideal. So yes, I think on a kind of initial thing, having a one-game suggestion or maybe a cup game where that could happen and see how good it could be, if it goes terribly, then fine, we have to hold our hands up and say there isn't the desire in our fan base for that to happen. Yeah. And then, you know, that would be a shame, but at least we've tried. But I don't think that you can truly say that you want to try and improve the atmosphere without giving these things a try. I think the cup, you know, like doing it for if, if we get an FA Cup third round tie at home or, or the first League Cup game next season again, if we get one at home, is is the perfect opportunity to say, yes, I know normally you do get first dibs on your seat as a season ticket holder. However, we are setting aside via this very simple scheme where you have to register to be in this section. This is going to be a singing section. There will be singing the whole way. Um, and, you, you know, just so you know, you're, you're currently in that block. It's a, such a tiny percentage. Bearing in mind, we, the attendance drops so much. And, I, and loads of people in the Barclay go and get a better, better yeah, view yeah. in the South Stand. Um, for for like the for, for the cup games, which um, is why that sells sells out so quickly. And vice versa, lots of people who are in the south stand who want who want to be part of the atmosphere, but can't because they're in the south stand. Move into the Barclay for that game. Yeah. And this is one of my things though, because lots of people. So I'm 30 now. I've sat in my seat in E Block now for nine years and had a season ticket in the Barclay for 15. 
And the reason I wanted to be in the Barclay was because I saw that that's where the atmosphere is from. Mm -hmm. If I were someone coming into the Barclay now, but I'm not really sure what's all the fuss about. If you're in the Barclay because you want to be part of the atmosphere, because that's where it's at, in inverted commas, but you're not singing and getting behind the team, what is there to be a part of, really? If you're in there and thinking, oh, the Barclays is the place to be, and I think, and I might get some people's backs up with this, but there's far too many people that have got a bit complacent with, oh, I sit in the Barclay, and that's almost enough for them. I sit in the Barclay, so therefore it's just accepted that this is the atmospheric bit. But it's really not been recently. I know that argument, you know, it will naturally be better when we're good and when we're on this big run, you know under Lambert and under the tail end of the promotion season and that playoff semi-final against Ipswich it was amazing in the whole ground but it's these games against kind of Barnsley against Derby where you need that lift and actually there isn't the atmosphere in the club's defence we're hamstrung a bit because lots of the clubs and I was going to mention this but there's lots of other clubs who have had these similar kind of initiatives so like Palace Huddersfield Watford have got one there's others probably that I'm forgetting. Forest is a yeah, Forest. But City, they right. all had areas room. because... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, room. They literally had room yeah. that they could move into Maybe we should get or kind of get people. We could get 400 seats every game before. So crazy. I understand why it's difficult for the club to say, oh, yeah, like we'll just give you 400 seats, guys. Because mm-hmm. they haven't really... I mean, they've got 400 seats spare in the ground but not altogether in a section. So I understand it is difficult. I do think though that there is a point that you're not going to please all of the people all of the time. And, you know, when they made the whole of the River and Lower Tier, the family section, that was a unilateral decision. Other clubs have implemented singing sections where they've said, this is going to be the singing section. If you like it, great, stay. If you don't, yeah, I think that's you might need point. to move. Like, and that's going to annoy people, yeah. but... I don't know. Some people will be annoyed. Whatever you do, some people will be annoyed. But at the moment, it's dying. And you have to do something. And if you do it and you annoy a few people, but you give people choice, then at least you've done something. Yeah, and I think as Tom says, it has to be on a voluntary basis. You know, the club aren't going to impose on people. This is what's happening. You have to move or or whatever. Um, But... You know, I think the only thing that we can say at the moment, and we can be really clear about that, is that we've put ideas to the club. Actually, you know, there's nothing off the table at the moment. Nothing's really been vetoed, um, but discussions continue. So that kind of brings us on to one of the, the Twitter questions that we've had this week when we uh, yeah, put out a tweet for um, um, topics. Um, I think Brad came up with a, uh, a particular point on, on atmosphere and, and what it's like in the Barclay. Yeah, so this is this your mate? Yeah, Brad, Brad Knowles, Knowles, yeah. yeah. Okay, so Brad has said, is the atmosphere harmed by stewards constantly insisting people sit down? Well required, this often kills the atmosphere just as it's starting to improve. Clubs seem to have hired some big buggers to intimidate the standards in Block A. There was a particularly big bugger uh, on Saturday that Brad and I were, were looking at. With my father being a steward, if I could... Is he a big bugger? Um, Medium-sized bugger? He's quite short, but... Short bugger. He's getting bigger by the month. He's quite a friendly bugger, though, isn't he? Round. He's a nice lad. Yeah, he's all right. Um, but there's, so there's two things on that, and I think he's right that the atmosphere is harmed by stewards consistently telling people to sit down. But there's two things. One, they have to do it because the safety advisory group say that if you don't get everyone sitting down, we're going to close sections of the ground. And as a result, they have to be seen to make an effort to get everyone to sit down. My dad um, may not be representative of all stewards, but I know from my dad's point of view, he would much rather not be telling you to sit down. He'd rather be 
enjoying the game and I'm not enjoying the game so I'm not allowed to watch it but he doesn't want to be getting abused and telling people to sit down that's not what he's there to do the other thing I would say is this is also another very good reason for having a singing section because if you have a singing section that's a lot easier to kind of steward and police because again it goes down to that expected behaviour you're not going to have these conflicts of people who want to sit down sitting behind people who want to stand up because you're putting like-minded people in the same place. So it does kill the atmosphere, but it's going to happen. I think the club focus on block A and block B because it allows block C, D and E, which will be much harder to get to sit down, a bit of a a bit more license because they can be seen to be making an effort. But if you then you can solve that problem by having a singing section. Well, I think the talk on social media, and I don't know if it's true, but it was the talk on social media, is they've had lots of complaints from someone or some people in Block A that everyone stood up. And there's been a few photos as well doing the rounds of uh, children having to stand on seats yeah. in order there to There are signs in the lower seat. block now, aren't there, yeah. of yeah, kids having to stand on seats. Which obviously isn't safe. The, the thing so that's a real issue you know and and the club can't do right for doing wrong really in in that situation so i mean like you say if dne is this kind of designated right it's going to be singing it's going to be all all singing all standing i mean the the thing with the thing with that point that brad makes is that that also hurts the atmosphere because it's then uncomfortable for people who are reasonable to sit there and hear idiots swearing at someone saying you're just a fat man in a jacket etc mm-hmm. and you just think he's doing his job like you might not agree with the job he's doing but he, he's not in charge of the job he's doing like yeah. he, he's been told you have to do this if you don't do this you will not be paid well, the flavor you won't be back here again and so it, and we get, it got really quite nasty on Saturday it's a sign again of how the entertainment on the pitch doesn't affect how loud you can be like the loudest chant was abusing the stewards like, again yeah. they have nothing to do with the atmosphere on the pitch you can sing loudly about stewards sing loudly about the team and I also didn't see him do anything unreasonable but the, the well there was some feedback that he did act unreasonably I that is without foundation but there were some people saying he was completely unreasonable so yeah. I don't know you were closer so I'll take your word for it mate on to the next Twitter on to the next Twitter question so we've got Charlie I don't know if it's Horwood or Harwood, so sorry, Charlie. Um, but it's a good question. Who is the most expendable and therefore sellable of our or saleable, I should say, of our better players? Closer, Madison or Nelson? Nelson. Nelson. I back it up by saying that uh, I actually think he's gone off the boil. You thought that he was ring rusty last couple of games. Um, there are 50-50 challenges that I don't think he's up for making that he was up for making earlier in the season. I feel like he doesn't. he's not confident that if he plays 100% to his ability, he'll be back in the team the next week. I think it is a motivational problem. I think it is a management problem. Is that a psychological issue, though? Because, I mean, obviously, he's had all these injury problems. He's two games back now. You know, his groin was screwed, then it was his back. He was, was poor tonight. Teeth? He was poor tonight. Absolutely, and he, he wasn't great tonight. And, and I think some of that is perhaps him... Th- feeling his way back into the team and feeling his way back towards full fitness. And some of it maybe is it's just not clicking at the moment. You know, and he was taking pot shots from 30 yards, which were skewed horribly wide or high and wide as well. But I just wonder with him, there we know there's a player in him. We absolutely know there's a player in him. And we haven't really got many other forward options, which I know we've discussed at length before. So for me, I don't think he'd be the one that he'd actually sell, and I'd probably go with Timmy Closer because actually you've got Zimmerman, you've got Hanley. I don't think you get enough money for him though. I don't think you get enough money for Closer to make it worth selling one of your only form players this season. Potentially, is that 
without the kind of caveats if we needed to get money for one of those well, like, three think, which I one think, would you go for because then it would probably be Madison wouldn't it or, well, no, because they're, or Nelson but it's expendable so I, I read that question as you um, I actually think we do I think we need to sell in January I think we need churn in this squad I, I think it's already looking really stale and yeah I do bang on about it all the time because I get more cross about it every game I see we've only got two strikers in the squad with with a half a striker in, in Watkins and it pisses me off I think it's ridiculous all of the other play, all the other teams even if you include Watkins as an out and out striker he isn't but even if you do that's still only three it's not enough and there isn't enough op- there aren't enough different options so you're selling one of them so I would sell one of them to, to make money to get someone else to try something different. I would still rather have more than one. But my point is, you sell Madison, fingers crossed. I mean, Pritchard played for the under-23s apparently tonight, which is terrific news. Last night, yeah. That was the last yeah. time we um, But if you blame Twitter's algorithm, but if you have um, if you sell Madison, we are screwed for creativity at the moment. Oh, yeah. I... I wouldn't sell him in a heartbeat. I was just thinking what the kind of thing was. Because I agree with John. I would probably go for Timmy Close because of what we have in terms of reserve. Because right now, if we're saying... I would still rather have Oliveira not firing at the moment than have him out of the team and entrust that goal scoring to one of the other people mm. who could play yeah, up but The front. point is, you're, you're assuming that you're going to replace him with the money you get. Well, the question is, who's the most expendable? I, I, I think it's Nelson, because whilst he's scoring goals, I think someone else could score more. I'll take the field. Like if it's him versus we, the field of potential strikers who are a bit frustrated because they're fourth or third choice elsewhere in the championship, I would take the field. Is it kind of expendable? So we're saying if if one of those players left, which player would have the least impact on our results and form? That's what we're saying. Expendable yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. In that case, it would be closer. So closer because yeah. I think you would be able to cover him the best of the three at the moment. But do you cover Madison with Wes? Pritchard, uh, Vrancic, and there's quite a lot of variables there. There is a lot of variable. For someone who, in terms of pure numbers, Madison is probably the one who you've got most actual physical number-wise backup. For. Yeah, but ability, 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 form form wise, ability and form-wise, though, I don't know if you, I, I don't, don't think we can afford to lose Madison at the moment. I think and potential to, to kind of improve as well. Like yeah. you, you get the impression that there's still loads yeah, more to come, assets, and we've already seen so much. If 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 we can keep hold of him um, until next January, yeah, he could be worth twenty million easily. Absolutely, yeah. I think he's probably fifteen mil now mm. because of the potential young English potential. Easily, you know, with Premier League prices at the moment, yeah, you could even be saying up, up it to twenty. Okay, so Timmy close. Yeah, okay. I'll say closer. Yeah, nice. I'm going closer. I'm convinced. <laughs> Cheers. Um, next up, Kelvin Goodson. Has anyone else forgotten that Louis Thompson is still alive? Bless Louis Thompson. Is he? I assume he is still injured. Yeah, he kind of had a bit of a. Well, I don't think it was an Achilles relapse. I think he came, kind of started training again, and he's. Something else has gone, but so is he out for the season? We don't really know, but he's alive. So we have a question. There's, there's, there's a few of the players in the squad that that aren't either in it who seem to be a lot closer than Louis Thompson. Jamal like, Lewis from pre-season, everyone mm, very excited about. Yeah. Had forgotten until the other day that he did really well in pre-season. He's actually he's actually a good um, option given that Teti and Tribal because he's that kind of player, and that's possibly where we're lacking in the squad most at the moment. I would disagree that if we could only buy one position, I would buy a defensive midfielder rather than a striker. Yeah, and we're, interestingly enough, we've been linked with this lad from Wigan today as well, defensive midfielder. The final note of affairs, which is the ACN quiz, 
Um, would you like to just run us through uh, the standings, Andy? Uh, yeah, well, I'm top. No, actually, I'm not. I'm like Chris Gorham smashed it last week. So Chris Gorham has the best one-week score. If you're doing cumulatively, which isn't really fair on the guests, but I'm beating John. And uh, and the guests, yeah, the guests have got two, you've got two, and I've got one. And poor Di Cunningham didn't get a point. Yeah. So as always, Thomas, you've got six questions. Right. Um, you've got a minute to answer each one of them. Okay. Once you give a wrong answer, I will go on to the next one straight away, and then once you've gone through the six, I'll go back to the start again. Andy will tell you when your time is up, and your time starts now. Name one of the last three managers of Forest before Warburton. Nigel Clough. Incorrect. Name one of the scorers when we beat Preston 3-1 near the end of last season. Wes. Incorrect. Other than England and Brazil, name one other country to have won the FIFA Under-2017 World Cup. France. Correct. Who scored in our 2-1 home defeat to Derby? Tim Kleister. Correct. Name one of the players to have scored a Premier League hat-trick against Man United. Shearer. Incorrect. Which two players have won England captain? I've started, but I can't finish because that's the game. So you've got two, which in some weeks has been a... That's been enough. Uh, that would be... enough to win it. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the ones that you didn't get, yeah. um, can either of you two chip in with one of the last three managers of Forest before Warburton? Doogie. Alex McLeish. He was fourth. Ooh. Oldest one. No. Uh, so Gary Brazil, Philippe Montagnier, yeah. um, and then Paul Williams was the caretaker in between. Oh, you can't and, caretaker. Uh, I've only heard of Montagnier. Well, I, gave, I gave you the last three people who were manager. I think yeah. Billy Davis, but... Yeah. No. Well, he was even before that. Yeah, I could say. Um, yeah. Good question. Preston, good question. Uh, when we beat them only last season, Graham Dorans, Josh Murphy, James Madison were the scorers. Um, Nigeria, Brazil, England, Ghana, Mexico, Soviet Union, Saudi Arabia, France and Switzerland have all won the FIFA Under 2017 World Cup. Obviously relatively topical because we've won that recently. Um, the four players to have scored a Premier League hat-trick against Man United, David Bentney, Dirk wow. Howard, uh, Eto and Romelu Lukaku. Uh, and the final question was going to be which two players have won England caps whilst playing with Swansea? Anyone chip in on that? Abraham. Carl Norm. Tammy is the most recent one. The one before that was more recent than that. Well, no, he's still there. But he's he's not still at Swansea. Or Scott Sinclair? He's not still at Swansea, no. Scott Sinclair? Went to Newcastle. No. Went to Newcastle. Oh, John Joe Selby. Correct. So, two to beat John. And your time this week starts. Now, name one of the scorers when we beat Forest away at the city ground last season. Dorans. Correct. Name one of the scorers when we beat Preston 3-2 at home in the last home game before Worthington took us up into the Prem. Oh, bloody hell. Cracking game, they equalised twice. McKenzie. Correct. Who knocked Greece out in the recent World Cup qualification playoff? Pass. Name one of the top three English goal scorers in the Premier League so far this season. Pass. Name one of the six Newcastle players to have appeared at World Cup 2014. Check Teote. Correct. 
Who are the two most recent players to have won England caps whilst playing with Stoke? Peter Crouch. Incorrect. Um, name one of the scorers when we... Oh, I did the one. Beg your pardon. Uh, who knocked Greece out of the recent World Cup Pass, playoff no. qualifier? One of the top three English goal scorers in the Premier League so far this season. Okay, that was your, that, that was your, Croatia was correct. Is correct. Good night. Croatia was correct. They smashed them in the first leg, didn't Four they? Four one. Yeah. And nil nil. Wasn't even paying attention. Um, the English goal scorers in the Premier League so far. Yeah, I thought this was really easy. Oh, I thought it was really easy, and then I just had a blank. Ex Norwich taught him everything he knows. Okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Raheem Sterling and Jamie Vardy. Um, and then you could have also had Tim Krul, uh, Matthew Dubucci, Musa Sissoko, Loic Remy, and Shola Obi all played in 2014. Did Czech really di- recently die? Uh, the Ivory Coast guy. Don't know. I think he did. I think you're right, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Um, and then uh, the Stoke players to have won England caps. The most, the two most recent are Ryan Shawcross and Jack. Yeah, Button. I was trying to get back to that because I knew Shawcross after cool. I said it. So, Andy, you need three to draw or four to win. Again. <laughs> Your time starts now. Who scored two goals in the five-one win over Forest last season? Wes. No. Who is Preston's chairman? Uh, what? Uh, John Smith. <laughs> I think it's an obvious one. Which player scored the most goals in World Cup qualifying? Harry Kane. No. Which of all teams? Uh, name one of the three players who has made the most substitute appearances in the Premier League alongside Peter Crouch. He's made the most. Who's ma- who, name one of those that are also in the top three. Most uh, substitute. Drogba. No. Name one of the two Brazilians who have scored Premier League hat tricks, both in two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, oh, uh, Julio Baptista. No. Oh, uh, who are the two most recent players to have won England caps whilst playing with West Ham? Mark Noble. No. Good shout. Um, no, because isn't he the guy they really crossed and never had one? Sorry, it's your time. Um, <laughs> who scored seconds. two uh, when we beat Forest five one last season? Uh, Oliveira. No. Fine. Did we win, eh, boy? Did we win? chairman. Yeah, that's harsh. Well harsh. That was, you got two, though, right? Uh, I think it's two and a half. Was it zero? Yeah. I, might just, I, had, I usually count on my fingers. Yeah, I don't think I got any. You got no, nothing. sorry, mate. You got nothing. So, who scored two goals in the 5 1 win over Forest last season? Alex Pritchard. Pritchard. Yeah. Pritchard, yeah. Preston's chairman's Peter Ridsdale. I thought everyone knew oh, that he went there. Yeah. Maybe it's just because my Leeds affiliation. He has been chairman of everyone. Yeah. So. Sorry, mate. Um, which player scored the most goals in World Cup qualifying? What? Out of all the teams? Out of all the teams. Ronaldo? Lewandowski. Mm, yeah. Uh, name one of the three players who's made the most substitute appearances in the Premier League alongside Peter Crouch, Sola Amiobi and Nwank Wukanu. The two Premier League hat-trick scorers, Alfonso Alves and Rubinho. Yeah, oh, the five Rubinho. minutes that Rubinho was, yeah. was in the Premier League and the two most recent players to have won England caps whilst playing with West Ham got to be Joe Hart Joe it? Hart Joe Hart mm. I forget he plays there yeah Aaron, well, so does um, Aaron Cresswell a bit of fans wish you could Aaron Cresswell as well uh, and that 
brings to the end the ACM pod. Uh, please rate us on iTunes. That really helps. Yes, please. As always, you can be as nasty as you want, particularly about Lorny. Uh, just make sure you, you rate five stars or, or four stars with some constructive criticism that we can work on for next time. Get yourself along to AlongComeNorwich.com. Read the content. Buy the sweatshirts because winter is coming. It's goodbye from Lorny. Goodbye. Goodbye from Thomas. Goodbye. Goodbye from John. See you back. And goodbye from me. Set, set.